robotics. A robot may not injure a human being or through inaction cause a human being to come to harm. Second law. A robot must obey all human orders except where those orders come in conflict with the first law. Third law. A robot must protect itself so long as doing so does not conflict with the first two laws. Andrew, don't ever do that again. Of course not, sir. It is a one time only. Welcome to this podcast. We are reviewing iRobot and Bicentennial Man. So spoiler warnings for those two movies that have been out for forever. Uh, Yeah, so we are going to be talking Isaac Asimov movies on this episode of Sci-Fi Double Feature Screening. Well, so if I'm not mistaken, and I'm going to be completely honest at the start of this podcast, I have not done my homework specifically this week, so I'll be going off of uh, my recent memory, which is I I have watched each of these movies in the past two months, and I have seen them both multiple times before, so I think I'll be okay, but like first strike for not doing their homework for this episode don't uh, worry, I'll, I'll be I, getting that strike in the future, so <laughs> yeah, I can guarantee that um, much. But, so, re- tell me if I'm wrong, but I think the three laws of robotics, and I'm doing gratuitous air quotes here, are a common feature in both Bicentennial Man and iRobot? That is absolutely the case, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, that's a yeah. great place to start. Uh, they are both introduced within the first 10 minutes of both film, which was an interesting thing. I took notes on that for each one. It was a different time. So when did he write that, does it say? I'm going to go back to when iRobot was written, because that's, that's probably the most important date for this, which is 1950. So we're, we're like deep into that 1950s like pulp sci-fi <laughs> territory. Yeah, like... Like the vintage, oh, those those glorious jumpsuits that do absolutely nothing but look cool. They encase the ass, kind of. <laughs> so, yeah. You can tell that uh, there's there's no insulation in those jumpsuits. <laughs> there's barely any oxygen to speak yeah. of. Um, we mm, saw a couple jumpsuits sleek, in the movies. The sleek, sleek veneer of the 1950s yeah. idea of science fiction so like a little bit of background like i robot was a collection of short stories that asimov had put together and they like had those laws in there and it went through a lot of different eras um, a few decades but this this particular batch of movies we're talking like 90s and the knots um, and studio ideas of what audiences expect from science fiction were pretty different um, between those two decades, even though they were pretty close together. Uh, interesting. So I'm going to read some Wikipedia stuff right yeah. now. Um, Bicentennial Man came out in 1999. 
starring Robin Williams. Rest in peace, Robin Williams. Which was apparently based on the novel The Positronic Man by Isaac Asimov. And I, Robot, stylized little I, comma, capital letters, Robot, um, came out in 2004, starring uh, Will Smith. That's right. And many other yeah. people, including James Cromwell, who will always have a special place in my And life. Alan Tudyk playing a robot, not for the last time. Oh, it's Wash. Yep. Yeah, and uh, that that robot from Rogue One. Oh. Silence, let's, human. Slaps <laughs> him in the face. Let's, let's not discuss. Let's not discuss the Star Wars. Oh, movies. really? Rogue One. Yeah. I I enjoyed Rogue One. I'm not gonna lie about that one. I I can't. I can't. The pain is too fresh. Maybe someday. I can understand it. Yeah. Maybe someday, yeah. but I'm still I'm still too hurt. Uh, that that um, very well may come up in the future, though. I think we should compare like Star Wars and uh, a really bad, um, like film that's like about the same like content. There, there's a few out there that that are pretty. So Star Wars and Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm, Ooh, mm. I see what you did. Yeah. My eyebrow, my my <laughs> eyebrows don't show up on the podcast, yeah. but. Thank goodness. If your eyebrows made noise, how weird would that be? Um, so, that definitely <laughs> happened in one of those movies that we saw. So, uh, yeah, Robin Williams' eyebrows were weird. <laughs> they were, uh, yeah. But um, I wanted to say, I Robot, also based on uh, the Isaac Asimov short story collection. So, um, two movies based on the works of. Isaac Asimov. Only five years apart. Wow. Yeah, and what a difference. Wow. Yeah. 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 Jurassic Park uh, changed the world. Yeah, I don't know about you, but my first reaction when like Bicentennial Man started up was, "Thank God, mm -hmm. thank, uh, you know, all of the gods that Sam Neill is in this." <laughs> I don't know. I'm a I'm a big <laughs> Doctor Grant fan. I like Sam Neill. That Kiwi's a good guy. He's fun. I like watching him. I, I do feel like the tone of Bicentennial Man changes when Sam Neill's character um, departs yeah. the screenplay. Oh, yeah. No, the tone like, and the entire production seems to have... It's almost like a completely different director has taken over or something. I'm sure it's Chris Columbus Is that the when time. the film jumps the shark? Like, it really is. So, I just... I'm a weird person who saw this movie on uh, on my online video queue, and I was like, oh, Bicentennial Man. I have not watched that movie in forever, and I remember loving it. I should watch it. <laughs> and then I looked up online to see what uh, the uh, the internet's opinions of this thing that I liked were. Okay, did you go to Rotten Tomatoes? not a thing that I recommend that you do. <laughs> okay. Where did you go? Just not a thing that I recommend that you do. I, I think I ended up on Reddit, which oh, is no. That's, uh... never... <laughs> It's a very honest place to end up on the internet. And, it's a good um, way of putting it. Their, their criticism, the, the collective hive mind of the internet's criticism of Bicentennial Man is that about half, it's like it's a decent premise, but about halfway through the film, the script gets completely robotic, ironically enough, and um, unrealistic. Yeah. And the acting 
gets wooden and yeah. two-dimensional. And his uh, character which... changes. His character yeah. changes in such a deep, fundamental way the minute he gets skin put on him. Like, yeah. the, the minute he gets a superficial layer of human skin, he loses all of his sweetness. Like, everything that's, like, nice about this robot is out the window and replaced with, like, a toxic man. And, like why <laughs> tell me tell me more about that and provide me with some specific examples so he stalks the granddaughter of the little girl that he raised who portia. he was in love with yeah he he stalks portia he's was he was he or was he in love with the idea of the little girl that he raised yeah it's creepy like i, I remember being mildly creeped out by it as a kid when i first saw it and, like, I, I continue to be creeped out by this movie a bit. It's something about, okay. like, the creep... He gets so weird when he's... When Sam Neill is explaining uh, the, like, semen to the robot. Which, when you are when you start die. doing that... <laughs> when you start explaining semen to your robot, you, you might be uh, maybe, maybe making some weird life decisions, I think. Yeah, no, that was... And that's the kind of thing that that we would tend to take for granted in like if you built a robot now it would obviously have access to the internet and so it yeah. would have access to this great wealth of human knowledge um i do actually think the internet is one of mankind's greatest achievements despite it being also a cesspool of the worst of humanity and i think we as humanity are very <clears throat> self-aware about that too um, if our fiction um, tells us anything <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it's it's 1999, so the internet is full-fledged. So it is a little unrealistic that you have this robot that has all of this intelligence and and creativity to boot, which is an unintended consequence, and it doesn't have access to, like, basic human anatomy. Like, God forbid, what if one of the kids had gotten hurt? No, for real. Yeah, no, th there's, like, some legitimate right? issues. And, like... Apparently, he's learned a lot about anatomy, like, later on down the road, because he's able to, like, fully replicate human organs. Right. <laughs> like, he, he makes schematics of human organs later that right. make sense enough that somebody can just, like, full, fully recreate human organs. He, he, he takes a, some pretty serious jumps in those decades. And we don't see any of these jumps. Like, yeah. We don't see um, uh, Andrew Martin's character. Nailed it. Pulled that name out of nothing. Um, we don't see Andrew Martin, like, pouring over books in his spare time, learning all of these things. He seems to spend every ounce of his spare time making clocks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, like, sculptures out of driftwood and stuff. Like... Also, also, um, it, making clocks was supposedly Sam Neill's character's business ah. because he was teaching it okay. to Andrew. It's like, you could go into my business. You could make clocks. I want you to think about, like, a hypothetical clockmaker and the house that he lives in and the things that he can afford to buy. And I want you to tell me <laughs> if he can afford to buy that house and that car they do live and that top of the line robot they're, they're so middle class they're upper middle like yeah, yeah no they're upper yeah. upper middle for such a niche like, like terrible thing that probably no one wants in this future 
Like what kind of clocks is he? Making? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are these like a specific kind of gold filigree but, that somebody from like uh, Jordan is like courting him to make? I don't know. I mean, clearly not because you see the clocks that Andrew makes, and they're all made out of the, they're beautiful. They're made out of beautiful pieces of driftwood. Yeah. But like, I so sorry. That's a um, that's that's a logical problem that I have with this movie all the things that supposedly selling clocks can uh look the clock the market for clocks is just not that big you guys <laughs> yeah it's just not that much demand in the niche clock business unless unless i have grossly missed a calling in life <laughs> and and please feel free to write in and tell me if i have in the um, watchman universe i mean it's like you know the myth einstein discovers relativity and clocks are irrelevant that guy goes out of business like immediately <laughs> is uh so relative but anyway yeah we we don't see andrew martin like accumulating all this biological knowledge so at that point in the movie where it's convenient for him to have that knowledge obviously he we can assume that he suddenly plugs himself into the internet and connects all the dots and makes the next logical knowledge leap to designing these organs why didn't he just start off doing that why did why why ship these robots off to homes with children without a uh, basic knowledge like human anatomy and first aid? Yeah, that, that seems kind of Northern Robotics. That seems kind of irresponsible. Is it Northern seems Robotics? Seems like default programming that should be involved in a first law robot. I mean, the T one robot in Terminator had a study of human anatomy. Like, come on. Weirdly, we see him with a full HUD very early on in the film when he first comes out of that box and they activate him he's got a heads up display and then it's gone like immediately after but you see it again later when he's walking around when he spends 10 years walking the globe looking for 20 years and he's able to figure out if they have consciousness that's been deleted or not no 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 let's Longer than that, longer than that. I need to know this. This is some of them were twelve-year jumps. There was an eighteen-year jump at one point, and then there was one I just totally missed in here. It was when he made all the clocks. I did not catch that jump time, and it seemed like one girl was still getting grounded, and the other one was like getting engaged. I don't know. So the youngest went from being about eight or nine years old. Let's call it ten, just for the sake of ease of continuity. To (laughs) 36 she's getting (laughs) married presumably fresh out of college so i'm gonna say she went to a four-year institution and call her 23 24 so that was about a 14 year jump but where he just played by the same person almost the whole time like amanda is uh um mbeth davids i had to look that up because i thought it was amanda palmer from uh, american horror story for a minute (laughs) um no, she plays the adult Little Miss, and then she play, later plays Portia, which I didn't catch when I watched the movie when I was young, but it's really obvious oh. when you watch the movie again yeah. as an adult. And, like, irritatingly. Like, so much so that it's like, okay, we get it. They, they look alike. <laughs> like, Robin Williams, you know, pump the brakes here. Whoever, uh, whoever um, shot this scene. Okay, so this, I... I is it time to throw out a crazy fan theory, or should I hold no, off I, on the I crazy No, I want to hear your theory? head cannon on Bicentennial Man. 
my head canon on Bicentennial Man is that maybe when Andrew was having his skin installed, something went wrong. Ooh, I like this. Yeah. Because that's the point in the script where it goes especially wooden and especially two-dimensional <laughs> is after, is like you said, after Robin Williams's character, Andrew Martin, gets his robot skin. Yeah. That's the and the first thing that he does is go back to his childhood home and um, unintentionally hit on the granddaughter of the child that he helped raise. He's utterly lost all charisma by this point. It's uh, yeah. It's totally washed out in favor of this like toxic masculine um, character. I, I wonder if some of that isn't the influence of uh, of that one guy. What, what's that guy's name? Rupert. Yeah, Rupert Burns, played by Oliver Platt. Yeah. That guy so from Flatliners. I think, <laughs> I think uh, Rupert Burns messed up Andrew's brain somehow when he was putting on that skin. It was a failure, and the rest of the movie that we're seeing is just his positronic brain playing out what the end of his life might look mm. like. And so naturally it's two-dimensional and it's not imaginative and it's ridiculously linear when it doesn't have to be um i had some thoughts about this toward the end of the film it's i i think it's strange that any android wants to be human specifically like they they want to experience taste is one thing that androids are like often depicted as wanting and like data from Star Trek is probably the number one example I can think of. And Andrew is very, very similar to data in a lot of regards, but data is a, a better data person. Data so much more better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's so much more better. He's a much more empathetic character. I, I found myself kind of loathing this character immediately after he, he got skin. And like, I love really? Robin Williams and almost everything I've seen him in. But I, I do not like his uh, his human character. He's like so mean to uh, Galatina, Galatia, Galatea, Galatea, the other cyborg that Oliver Platt's character has like retrofitted <clears throat> with like boobs <laughs> and like a uh, a a very servant oriented, um, but sassy for lack of a lack of a better word. She's a she's a sassy subservient. Yeah. Um, why though? Like, and she is, but why? It seems Rupert. utterly unnecessary. I think Rupert is up to some bad stuff. He might be the worst part of the whole story in that regard. Well, Rupert programming a robot, which Andrew demonstrates to have complex sentience, into being just constantly cheerful and uh, ready to serve and like yes master no master is just such a waifu yeah is that the phrase yeah I'm no for? i think so yeah or neckbeard yeah a little nice it's a guy very in neckbeard there. thing yeah. to do yeah, it is. like he should have a fedora and a samurai sword <laughs> He's just like, you know, he's got a samurai sword oh, yeah. on his wall somewhere, not shown in the scenery. Not it, 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 yeah. it It's there. Like, I guarantee it. Um, yeah, why? Why that? And and there's no reason for Andrew to be so mean to her. Yeah. At, at one point, he, he says that he needs to take, like, a power drill to her, which is horrifying. Yeah. 
What like yeah. what the hell? Why did the filmmaker is so out of tone with everything we've seen up to that point? <laughs> no, there's a there's a specific scene where he walks off camera and says, "Can you hand me that impact drill?" That was it. And then we just impact hear drill. her screaming in the background. Yeah, horror. Also, why would you program a robot to scream? Why would you make a robot feel pain? That's awful. <laughs> yeah. Rupert. Yeah. And Rupert. Earlier on, he's, he, it's explained they doesn't feel pain too. And they, yeah. they, 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 this happened in both films that we saw too, because, and I'll talk about this later in iRobot, but they had a moment where, where pain was like an important part of it. And it, it had been, it had already been established in the narrative that pain was not something they experienced. Like, right. be consistent with these uh, robot rules because they're important. Yeah, they are. Well, if you're going to make a movie about robots, then you need to have self-consistent robot rules. Yeah, absolutely. Like, either the robots can feel pain and humanity is terrible for putting them through everything that we put them through, or they're emotionless beings that can't feel pain. And th- really, that doesn't make us any better, but, you know it makes their reactions different. And that that brings up some important stuff. So maybe we should summarize this movie briefly. Uh, Do you think it's done? Yeah. So Robin okay. Williams plays a robot who goes from being a robot to a human being over the course of several decades. Like, And, and that's, 200 years. that's his important mission is uh, to become a human being. Um, but it, it takes on a lot of different forms that that thought and like it progresses from the concept of freedom um and the entire thing could be described as an allegory for civil rights but i don't think it's an apt analogy i i i think it might be and i hate to use this word in this day and age but a little problematic as uh, as messages go in a in a lot of regards it's very uncle tom's cabin with its civil rights allegory i mean 1999 wasn't that long ago like i realized none of us were woke yet but like we knew better yeah 20 years ago we there was a this this kind of discourse was already happening i i don't know i i have a theory about the production of this film good you'd like to hear it i i would but i think you should uh was that it for your summary well, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, eventually yeah. he gets married to a descendant of this family that uh, he lived in. Except except that he doesn't get married because it's not legal oh, for robots yeah. and humans to get married. Married in all but name. Um, and he's not, he's not yet classified as a human while they live their whole lives together. But on his um, deathbed, their, their marriage is uh, formally validated. validated. Yeah, and he gets mercy killed by the by the person who, uh, um, by the the person he took the drill to <laughs> earlier in the movie. He does. Galatea, who's now a slender uh, white woman, and has lost almost all of her sass. Yeah, yeah. All of it has lost all of her sass. She's now a slender white woman. Um, with zero sass and none of the freedom of movement that she displayed yeah. earlier. Did they get inside her brain? Did her brain change when she got human skin? You know, 
if there were more robots in this production, I think we would have a fully fledged um, like thing that we could point out ultimately. Look, I've, I've realized that two points you can't definitively make a pattern off of, but I'm just saying 100% of the robots in Bicentennial Man that get human skin undergo <laughs> vast transformations in personality. It is 100% of the robot cast. So, I mean, you, you've got a strong point here. I'm just With saying. the sample size we've got, I, I think I think you can point it's, something. It's, it's an insufficient sample size to draw <laughs> conclusions, but it's the only sample size we're going to have. So true. please tell me your theory. Okay, so my theory <laughs> is that like somewhere through production, Robin Williams had already produced Mrs. Doubtfire. He had been in Mrs. Doubtfire. And that the concept of Mrs. Doubtfire and wh- the scenes where he receives prosthetic for becoming an old Scottish nanny. Um, Those scenes are very similar to the scenes in which he transitions from being a human being, from being a robot into a human being. They are. There's even the same fat white guy with brown hair that speaks in an affectatious voice. For some reason, I thought it was the same guy before Oliver Platt came on screen. I thought it was going to be, uh, 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 I thought it was Harvey Firestein in both iterations, and I was wrong, mm-hmm. and I was very disappointed. She, yeah, he he originated the the Edna Turnblad part in Hairspray, the part that John Travolta played in the movie. Okay. Yeah, it, that that was him originally, but he talks in a really raspy voice. Which Rupert Grint's character, who's the actor that plays him again, also Oliver talks Platt. in a similar voice. Yeah. Oliver yeah. Platt, very similar voice. Very similar aesthetic. Very similar Sorry. part. Very similar character. Far- yeah, no, when he's carrying Robin Williams' head across the room, like, I can replace that image in my brain with uh, uh, Harvey Firestein carrying the mask across the room, and, like, those scenes are so incredibly similar. He was a producer, and I think he might have also received a writing credit for the movie, I'm checking right now. I don't think For so. For Mrs. Doubtfire? Yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire, by the way, a 1993 film, so firmly produced by the time Bicentennial Man yeah. uh, started production. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. no way it wasn't. And I, I think that movie was such a critical hit and such a, like, especially home release, like, just smash. Like, that that sold VHSs, like, ridiculous. Uh, I, I'm sure that was part of it. Like, we can market this if we put like kind of a similar air to Mrs. Doubtfire into a movie about a robot. And that's kind of how they marketed it in the nineties. Um, mm. Yeah. We might play some commercial bits in here. Cause I, there are a couple. I maybe should actually watch the commercials because yeah. I want to see like, how did they sell this to people? This Friday, one wishes to have more expression. See the film critics are calling a wonderful holiday movie. Andrew? Yes. He's had an upgrade. Bicentennial Man is full of heart and soul. <laughs> a must-see movie. It is a household appliance. And yet you act like it is a man. Robin Williams is brilliant. I am trying to make something of myself. How's it going? Bicentennial Man. Do you have any friends? Only Wolfie. That is the extent of his skills. A Chris Columbus film rated PG starts December 17th. So I'm I'm thinking about the inflection point in the movie where which is uh, Andrew's journey across the world over has to be at least thirty years, yeah, 
20 years like, has to be at least 20 years i forget what exactly the jump was i think it, that but, might have been um, the 18 year jump where he's like walking across deserts and mountains and wait stuff. a minute no 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 don't tell me it's the 18 year jump because if that's the 18 year jump and we can assume that um when little miss takes andrew to her son lloyd to seek his law help i've got to assume that as much emphasis as they placed on family at that point in time that we would have seen portia as a child somewhere with respect to lloyd i was thinking that the whole time they were having that introduction but we don't we don't we see portia playing the piano in her grandmother's house 18 years later which would mean she'd have to be less than 18 years old when andrew martin falls in love with her appearance i'm looking up the time jumps on this because somebody has got to have like a flow chart for this fucking movie that's so problematic that's like (laughs) there's a ton that's worse than the time traveler's wife shit it's it's a it's a irritating irritating thing oh oh just total side note this is just something that i i i put in my notes that i thought was really interesting after um the oldest daughter pushes um andrew out a window out of the window she she doesn't push him she commands him to jump out the window which should be against the first law of robotics metaphorically second law yeah yeah um the second law does apple care cover robot defenestration (laughs) answer the question (laughs) (laughs) also clearly not because he was capable of self-maintenance did, did he self-maintenance himself mate, out of that mate, situation? Mate. <laughs> that, ah, huh? That's right. He did say that, didn't he? He did. Yeah, good call. Good call. And his eye twitches <laughs> and like his eyebrow is askew. I was too busy Looking writing that up. joke to <laughs> hear the dialogue, I guess. This is why you got to pause when you write down your, um, oh, that's your clever. So true. Okay. I'm going to... I'm going to go for the official Bicentennial Man trailer posted on YouTube five years ago. I hope it's official. Maybe we can play this or some of it. Oh, God. From the director of Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, Chris Columbus directed Mrs. Doubtfire. Well, there you go. All right. That explains a lot. So it's not just Robin. It's... uh. So the whole tone of the first 30 seconds has a very festive, like, um, Christmas cheer feel to it. Yeah, that makes sense. It definitely has, like, a... Like, the the way it was advertised seemed very much like it was a um, coming... Uh, not, it, it was a family movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not. He we get a time jump to 2019. Then we get a time jump 20 years in the future apparently. I was right. Yeah, he You were right. No, no, no. He lives on the beach for 20 years then. No. First time jump it yeah, first no, time right. jump is in between yeah. when they're children and little Mrs. marriage. So there isn't the second time jump is in between freedom and Sir dying. So there there are some time jumps that don't 
appear to have uh, time labels from what I what I'm seeing here. Then there's um, this is confusing as hell. Then there's another time jump in between Sir dying and um, Little Miss having kids playing on the beach. Nope, nope, I'm wrong. That's that's within the second time jump. I think we can conclusively say that the 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 timeline for it is a little confusing. It's confusing and it's problematic, but I thought when I was watching it, of course, of course the passage of time isn't significant. The movie is being told from the perspective of initially an immortal robot. That's true. Like, why would the nuances of day-to-day life and the passage of time be significant if your memory bank is designed to hold an infinite number of years of memory? That's very true, yeah. And the the film does address that a couple times. Sam Neill's character really points out that, like, time is not as big of a deal for him. For you, time is endless. Yeah. And they reflect back to that after he has his human skin while he's making the decision to die. The fact that for him, time is endless. Humanity cannot tolerate an immortal human because it would arouse jealousy. What the f- kind of argument is that? I hate to swear. And that's a legal I argument. Bleep that. Yeah, yeah. So that's the World Congress. For one thing, there's there's a one world government that's able to legislate and litigate shit like this. But um, like, and the, yet we only ever see the United States shown in any of the footage. But anyway, please continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, no, no. There's like a Japan desk and stuff. There's like a couple a couple represented countries that like are you know. They, they show, like, a person leaning on a desk. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. They're in the World Congress, but, like, Andrew supposedly investigated every robot that was ever sold by this robot company. And I'm pretty sure, if I remember the captions correctly, they were all in North America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very true. So we're not selling any robots to China? <laughs> we're just not talking about China? Or, Are we or just more not... importantly, they're not producing them, too? <laughs> right. You like, would think most producing... of the parts would be coming from there. Or Vietnam so, at this point. So, so it's 1999, and we're saying that China and South Korea and Vietnam just have nothing to do with our robot. Because, of course, they don't. Because look at the robot that we end up with. It's clunky. Like, it's yeah. it's it's very uh, C-3PO. It's it's not smooth or graceful at all. Like, and it's gonna, like an iMac for a head. <laughs> in the Did United States. That? It's Did, got an iMac for yeah. Yeah, it looks like one of those old iMacs. Like his head looks like one of those weird candy shell iMacs that you can see through, and like it even had like the little spot for a handle <laughs> on the back. <laughs> so of course, like China's not involved in the manufacturing of this robot because oh, it's a travesty no. as far yeah. as design goes. I'm sure there's like um, no child labor or exploited workers going into the production of uh, of Andrew. But, oof, Rotten Tomatoes, 4.8 out of 10. Whoa, I didn't realize it was that bad. The website's critical consensus reads, and I quote, Bicentennial Man is ruined by a bad script and ends up being dull and mawkish. 
I I saw Todd McCarthy of Variety summed it up as an ambitious tale handled in a dawdling sentimental way. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it seems pretty fair, actually. Uh, oh, um, Bicentennial Man begins with promise, proceeds in fits and starts, and finally sinks into a cornball drone of greeting card sentiment. That's beautiful. It really is. Like, Roger Ebert, who gave it two out of four stars, cornball drone of greeting card sentiment. If anybody ever insults me with such (laughs) eloquence, I want it on my tombstone. Absolutely. Robin Williams spends the first half of the film encased in a metallic robot suit, and when he emerges, the script turns robotic instead. What a letdown. And I was reading facts online. Like, he was in the suit. Like yeah. he he said so in multiple uh, interviews and stuff like that. That was actually Robin Williams in a in a uh, tin can for like a huge, long movie. Anthony I Daniels, mean, eat your heart out. I kind of assumed that he was, and child me kind of assumed that that's why he so quickly progresses out of the robot suit and into human yeah. skin because yeah. they didn't want to have Robin Williams be in a robot suit for very long. Um, and into the worst rom-com that I've ever seen. Is there comedy? Here's a quote from from uh, Portia in the film. One kiss okay. couldn't jeopardize a perfect marriage. Who the fuck thinks that? <laughs> like, for real. That's a quote from Robin Williams speaking to Portia when he's trying to brainwash her. No, no, she says that. She says that? She says that. Yeah. One kiss yeah. couldn't jeopardize a perfect marriage, but I thought the line then followed, I and could it be would wrong. also explain why I, your heart rate has jumped 50 beats per minute. You're yeah. excruting clouds of pheromones. I thought that was an Andrew Martin line. I thought that was like after. I, I'm probably wrong. I'm probably wrong. It's yeah. pretentious and wrong nonetheless. One kiss could not possibly jeopardize a lifetime of a happy marriage the hell it could yeah weddings get canceled for less that's very true like i people have gotten divorced over sex sexed messages like you bet your pants that a full-on kiss could ruin it now on that low note where we've we've not only addressed like the movie itself but it's uh it's detractors i'd i'd like to briefly transition into some of the philosophical um ideas that it kind of bandies about um there's not a whole lot to delve into here i sadly but like there's a lot about consciousness and like where it comes from Mm -hmm. and ultimately the decision of a conscious being to end its own life is like largely lauded by the film like death is treated as as a very beautiful thing and there's a a hint at like an ever after of some kind of a of a of a uh, an afterlife um yeah right at the very end and it's it's an interesting thing to see a robot specifically engage with but the film does nothing with it. <laughs> like the film just like casts aside any kind of interest in the the philosophical after Sam Neill's character is dead. Yeah, 
And don't they also grapple with the concept of robots having a soul at one point? And yeah. it seemed to be accepted by this world as scientific fact that humans have souls and robots don't. And that's what makes a human a human and a robot a robot. Yeah. But it's very obvious to the audience that this is like a sentient being. Really yeah. early on, yeah. This is a really backwards movie universe. It really is. Like, okay, we've, we make the technological leap. We, humanity in the Bicentennial yeah. Man movie universe. Our species does makes the technological leap seemingly without the aid of any of our current technological powerhouse manufacturers to putting sentient, uh, problem-solving, humanoid um, robots into people's homes. And it's not treated as something special. It's just treated as like, oh, we got a new dishwasher, honey. Yeah. You know, that's the fanfare with which Andrew... It's is a received home into appliance. his appliance. Yeah. Okay. So the most so sophisticated got, thing in the, in the universe. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. most sophisticated thing that we can currently conceive of is a home appliance. <laughs> and and then and then there's no further technological development across the entire yeah. movie. Over like, like a huge period of time, two hundred years. Over two hundred years, they don't even have. Uh, of course they don't have cell phones because we live in the universe where we get cell phones and they live in the universe where I I have to wonder what horrifying thing has happened that robot consciousness is treated like a dishwasher and it's so uninteresting to society that we don't even care to progress any further with it. Like, there's no... It, it doesn't... The fact that robots exist don't cause any sweeping societal changes and that bothers me what does that say about that society that this was an insignificant development to them like they had it and then like the vhs tape it presumably got replaced by something else or people got bored with it and we didn't maintain the technology and then we just don't have it anymore that's why at the end of the movie there's only two robots left Hmm. And that's why they have to go about producing uh, robotic organs for people in order to keep Rupert's business afloat because there aren't any more robots. People got bored with them. Like, that's a really weird society that gets bored with robots. Like, they're not afraid of them. It doesn't sound like human society, honestly. It doesn't. Like, it sounds like another planet with, like, a completely different species. I, and like, like we just I can't, don't we we aren't like that <laughs> i can't even hypothesize what set of circumstances would lead to the bicentennial man universe where people react that way yeah. like yeah and it's, it's so different from the in-universe like same universe film that we're about to talk about <laughs> if you don't mind me transitioning is this no i was kind ham-fisted? of i was kind of hoping that that was where we would naturally transition would be in the way that society views the robots this is ridiculous yeah i know the three laws your perfect circle of protection a robot cannot harm a human being the first law of robotics yeah i know i've seen your commercials but doesn't the second law state that a robot has to obey any order given by a human being? What if it was given an order to kill? Impossible. It would conflict with the first law. 
Right, but the third law states that a robot can defend itself. Yes, but only when that action does not conflict with the first or second laws. You know what they say. Laws are made to be broken. No, not these laws. Do you mind if I read something from my notes real quick? Not at all. Okay, so this is something I wrote before watching the film, and I have not seen the movie, but I had a lot of preconceptions, biases that I was going in with, and mm -hmm. you know what? I was pleasantly surprised. Like, not everything was what I was expecting it to be. So this, keep take everything I'm about to say with a, with a hefty grain of salt, because I don't actually agree with most of what I wrote here. The novel iRobot is largely based on the practical of implementation of robotics and artificial intelligence, though that phrase wasn't in vogue at the time, in various aspects of human life over a series of decades. The movie is in stark contrast. It's an action film with some superficial investigation of Asimov's laws of robotics without any of the conceptual ideas from the stories in the iRobot anthologies. We're given an alternate universe where Will Smith didn't turn down the Matrix and a brooding <laughs> hero investigates robots. That's what I assumed the movie was. And it kind of is that. It kind of it, it kind of is. is. Um, it, Will it, Smith turned down the Matrix? Yeah, yeah, he turned oh, down buddy. the Matrix. Um, oh, and what no. a mistake that was. But at the same time, we got Keanu Reeves uh, in the part. We got Keanu so. Reeves, though. Yeah, I don't so. know. I, I like both actors quite a bit. Um, though Will Smith has chosen some less than enjoyable uh, films to, to be in in the past. Hey, man. Hey, more power to you if you have the level of success that you're free to pursue whatever strikes yeah. your artistic fancy, whether or not audiences find it interesting. They hammered the three laws out pretty early on in the movie, too. It's like, and, and they seem to be everywhere. Like, robots are in every single part of life. You very rarely see a frame without one on screen. So um, that's, that's, I think, so we're obviously, we're transitioning now into the second movie that we're comparing, yeah. contrasting, discussing. Yeah. Which is iRobot, the 2004 film starring Will Smith. <laughs> it's it's very different in a lot of regards. Five years in Hollywood is apparently a lifetime in um, society's expectations of robots. And let me let me look because I'm willing to bet, even though I'm not an iPhone user, that. In that time frame, we went from iPods to iPhones, which was a real turning point for society. I feel um, like the iPhone might be a later development than 2005. I could be really? wrong, though. Really? Yeah, I, I'm curious. Yeah, I'm willing to bet. Oh, I'm wrong. Oh. Yeah, I think 2007. iPhones. Yeah. So what was the difference in between 1999 and 2004 that all of a sudden... Jurassic robots Park, are I think. pervasive i i think um well, jurassic park came out in 1993 well what you're able to execute really changed as a result of that movie and i good lord that is a lot earlier than i was expecting jurassic park came out in 1993 Kevin. yeah no you're right yeah I mean, you've, just you've the, mentioned it twice. I let it go the first time, but this is not. This maybe is not it's Star Wars Episode our... One. Honestly, that maybe came it's out Lucas in '98. Maybe it's it's the Lucasfilm like change of things. It's it's like everybody is capable of putting any amount of CG that they want on there, and like mm. these huge firms exist that allow you to go out and 
pay like slave labor basically um you know pay people Sorry, i'm, I'm to... wrong star wars episode one the phantom menace came out in 1999 i thought it did i thought that was a 99 movie so that was the same year that bicentennial man came out so while the production team at bicentennial man was struggling with a robin williams inside a genuine robotic costume we All were getting effect yeah lucasfilm producing uh Star Wars Episode One. Please insert pod racing sounds and lightsaber noises here. Yeah. Um, you sir, all bombad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gosh, and I think you're right. What a contrast! Was Star Wars the first film that made such a gratuitous use of CGI? Well, I, I think it and The Matrix like took things to a different place and like every Clearly. movie after it has it's it's a we are living in like an alternate universe where like you know the matrix and star wars episode one happened and like the film industry just totally changed and it was about I mean, what was marketable and like you, you gotta you gotta have a cgi slugfest and that that that's like what most cinema is at this point so i mean i i applaud every time that i see a new movie now which i have to say isn't all that often or a new series that is using real effects instead of special effects because yeah. it or in combination with special effects because it just looks so much better than stuff that was obviously filmed on a green screen yeah. but there you go so it it wasn't the iphones it was the ability to throw in these cgi effects and yeah like you said there are robots in every freaking scene of that movie yeah and like one is a main character one is a a, a main character it, he's Sunny. not nearly as fleshed out as andrew but Sonny is at least consistent um if I'm, if there's i'm okay with Sonny not yeah. being as fleshed out as andrew in favor of the consistency Although we're going to get into the main robotic inconsistency that we already touched on earlier. I don't know if you want to jump there now. No, please. Yeah. Do robots feel Take pain or not? Yeah. So I'm going to guess that your big issue with the robots feeling pain part comes from uh, one of two scenes. Okay. So there's one scene um, where the main female character, um, Catherine Bridget... Moynihan? Monahan? Yeah. yeah. Who's playing Dr. Susan Calvin, who's like a a very well established character in the Asimov robot series. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. She's um she's like a, a big part of the series actually. She's like in nearly every story and she's in the original anthology. She is yeah. like a little girl initially, and then she's like in a ton of other um stuff later on. Is she in... Her life the... is, like, so heavily influenced by robots, it's ridiculous. Well, it would have to be. Yeah. Uh, you would expect it to be, which is what we were just saying about the Bicentennial Man universe being so weird, as all of the characters in that movie seem to have gone through their lives without being influenced by the development of robotics at all. Yeah. I mean, robots are at most a nuisance to humans in that universe. Yeah. Um but they wouldn't be they would be like in iRobot they would change everything every aspect of your life like the instant that technology becomes 
as affordable as an iPhone to where you can put it in your pocket, like the world is a different place. Yeah. Somebody should remake this movie. Somebody should, well, Bicentennial Man. Somebody should remake Bicentennial Man with like a budget from today and like see what that looks like. Because I, I, I swear you would have a completely different movie. You'd have a complete, I mean, you could start with the same premise, but you're going to end up in a completely different place. Yeah. And I'm very much on board for that. Anyway, I I want to I want to yeah, hear your casting decisions for the reboot of this film, <laughs> and possibly iRobot if we yeah. decide at the end that it needs to be rebooted as Whichever well. Whichever one gets canonized here, I, I think that that should be the decision. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, Dear God, Shia LaBeouf is in this. <laughs> Shia LaBeouf <laughs> is in this film playing just the derpiest character and i'm yeah. including his time on the even stevens series like <laughs> yeah, yeah. the derpiest derp yeah um i feel like i was going somewhere bringing up bringing up dr spooner yeah nope. yeah no Dr. we were talking Calvin. about the the two pain scenarios Thank you yeah, for bringing me scenes. back. Yeah, so sorry. Dr. Calvin, they're pursuing, so in iRobot, which I'll summarize since you summarized the last one. Please. Um, it, it, the, the movie starts, uh, the movie follows the investigation of a suicide of a prominent scientist who was heavily involved with the production of this movie universe's in-home line of robots and follows an investigator who feels as though this can't possibly be a suicide and has to be a murder a murder perpetrated by a robot (laughs) and the uh that investigation and where that investigation leads the main characters yeah and what robots can and can't do within the laws of of these within these three laws of robotics is there anything did i miss anything crucial in that no i i think that's a that's a pretty good uh summation i mean it's a gumshoe mystery right yeah uh, it is yeah yeah he's like a traditional gumshoe like gets like suspended off the force in the course you're out of line yeah he, he gonna, has a pretty good relationship with uh, whoever his boss is, though. I'm not sure if that's the chief or who that's supposed to be, really. I, I don't know. Some of these well, movies, I have, I have trouble following that kind of thing. The, his, lieutenant, his, the police lieutenant. chief in this movie is like a very humanistic man, and that's um, kind of admirable, really. Yeah. Uh, that's a cool portrayal that we don't get to see very often. But so... While Detective Spooner, who is Will Smith's character, is working with Dr. Calvin, she's saying, you've hurt it because the robot is leaking hydraulic fluid from from all appearances from one of its joints. That, to me, like, I understand that she's a robo-psychologist and she's trying to make the robot seem more human, but that use of her phrase, you've hurt it instead of you've damaged it, strikes me as odd. And then there's, of course, a big scene where she, Dr. Calvin, gets tasked with deactivating Sonny. Yes. And releasing nanites into yes. his positronic brain to wipe it out. And he asks her with almost tears in his eyes. Like, he's got a, 
he's got a catch in his throat, in his yes. robot throat, which you yes. wouldn't think would be an emotional range that robots could reproduce. So uh, glad you're, asked, you're stretching this moment out because this is what it is. Will it, will it hurt? And like, <laughs> we've already gone through the movie, the entire movie almost under the supposition that robots can't feel pain yeah yeah like did they give this guy pain sensors why no, they didn't because later in the movie like in two scenes from that scene uh, i'm exaggerating but very very shortly after that scene he reaches through a force field that melts off part of his yeah, arm yeah yeah with a more dense alloy <laughs> Denser alloy, stronger Dense. than most. <laughs> that was My it. father gave it to me. Beautiful. I think he wanted me to kill you. Hey, if there's one thing I'm here for, it's pulling random movie quotes out of my butt. That's that's very good. I I'm very impressed. That's good. What was what is this thing that you sent me? Converse paid a lot of money up front. It it's it's obvious they did. Uh, <laughs> that's. Yeah. Oh man! Vintage 2014. <laughs> Ugh. Which means they oh, weren't no. even the first round of Converse's. They were the revamps of Converse's. Yes, exactly. And I know that's supposed to be the joke, but like, why? Also, why? that future car—it's uh, capable of defying all the laws of physics. Like, Is it? yeah. At one point, he's sandwiched between like two like carrier vehicles that have a mm-hmm. bunch of robots on like things that like just shoots out robots at him and like he's like sandwiched between them and like the whole chase scene is still moving down a tunnel and like yeah. around a bunch of bends and stuff and yeah. like in the course of that his car starts like spinning around in place but still progressing forward I think I'm, I'm actually okay with that. Really? From a That's physics a, perspective. Wouldn't that, like, move out of the way at some point? Like, up a wall or something? There's no reason it would have to. It would okay. move wherever the forces in question dictated it. But there's and... a bunch of robots slamming into the vehicle from, like, a bunch of different sides and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. Something about it just seemed impractical. Robots, it, it, I'm asking it, an engineer for a reason, so sorry. Continue. It depends on what the mass of the robots with respect to the mass of the car is, and we don't know what the car is made out of, and we don't know if we can assume that it's heavier or lighter than current vehicles. We also don't know what the robots are made out of. So we don't know how much force they're going to be imparting on the car. Yeah, we know where they're imparting enough force to dent the car, but that's meaningless if you don't have any material reference points. I'm going to allow it. Engineer ruling... I'm allowing the car spinning in the chase scene in the tunnel of iRobot. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Um, I'll accept that ruling. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. Yeah. Defense Um, (laughs) What are some other problematic things with the iRobot movie? Uh, I mean, some basic human interaction things, but I think you could complain about that in any kind of movie. If we're really just focusing on robot stuff, I don't know. Honestly. Will Smith is dead, though, like several times over in this movie to a comical level. Like, yeah. OK, uh, uh, yes. w- Will Smith dies the first. Uh, I, I refresh my memory since I know you just watched it. Is the tunnel scene before or after Dr. Calvin Sr.'s home gets destroyed? That's demolished. Well, after. 
that demolishing sequence is ridiculous. He saves okay. the cat at one point. Like it he just does. happens. Like well, that famous trope just like happens like full on on screen. He saves the cat. Really, really the cat saves him. If you notice, he follows the cat to safety. That's true. That you, but you that got a point. point aside, that yeah. point aside, he's dead in that scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, no, he is. He is completely. No, dead. he's just dead. Like yeah. a robot just rolled up onto <laughs> your house. Like even if it was a wrecking ball, I think he'd be dead. And the robot came in like a wrecking ball, but it was much more effective than a wrecking ball. Miley and there's Cyrus no way Will Smith. Yeah. There's no way Will Smith ran out of that house, let alone with the cat. Like Will Smith died in that scene. <laughs> um, he he just he did. But okay, we're all living but, in a dream. That's but <laughs> Will but Detective Spooner didn't didn't die for some reason. Then again, where I'm not gonna let their engineering uh, get off the hook is in the scene where uh, Detective Spooner, who in a very ironic twist of fate, given his large prejudice against uh, robot kind, we find out, spoiler alert, is half robot himself. <laughs> He's got a robot arm. He's got a robot arm. He's Anakin Skywalker. And three ribs. Yep. Nobody so, tells you about what they put in. <laughs> Gotta read those healthcare forms. That's right. That's right. Will Smith's robot arm may be robotic and may be made of strong enough materials to withstand being pulverized by another robot with a steel pipe, if I recall correctly. Yeah, well, We're gonna assume he, it's a steel he pipe. also pulverizes that, that robot with the steel pipe. Right, but the in first a thing zombie that happens, scene. <laughs> the first thing that happens is that he gets the shit beat out of him in what should have killed him again. Yeah. And this one really should have killed him, robot arm notwithstanding, because the forces that were imparted to his robot arm had to be supported by the rest of his human body. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And yeah. that's how and that's how the story of how Will Smith's robot arm should have been torn from his ribcage along with his robot lungs and where he died in that tunnel. Yeah. Again. Will Smith's character is dead in this movie. Yes, absolutely. Um that one I'm not going to let them get away with. You can't justify to me that there's any scenario except perhaps a Doc Octopus suit and even then like uh, no that Doc and Octopus And that's not what we're dealing with here. Uh, that didn't make sense in that movie either. He that's, he gets repeatedly just smashed in the face by Spider-Man and like it makes sense for the Green Goblin. He's also enhanced, but like yeah. Dr. Octopus He's like whamming him in the face repeatedly, and we're shown like Spider-Man punching through bricks and stuff. Yeah. Like that. Hold up, is he like pulling all of his punches? Because if he is, that's irresponsible. I I, I don't know. Uh, sorry. I think I, Side I note. think in that case, like if Doc Ock's face is not pulverized uh, into a pile of mush, then we have to assume that Peter Parker is pulling his punches. Then we have yeah. to assume that Peter Parker is directly responsible for everything that Doc Ock gets away All with of it. until he's finally stopped. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the whole movie. I, I was having that issue when Mary I saw it in Jane theaters. And a bus full of kids? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Damn Wait. you. Wasn't the bus yeah. full of kids in the first one? Sorry. Was it the, was it the Green Goblin or Dark? You that. know, I've been. Where some it's... sadistic man, madman, leaves you with a choice. <laughs> Drops them both. Yeah. Um. 
Also, his airbag should have deployed like a lot earlier in that tunnel chase. Like yes. he gets repeated impacts on that that Mercedes Benz. Also, where were the side airbags? Where were the side airbags? Yeah, that that vehicle is not safe in any sense. But at least, at least, that vehicle is futuristic. Contrasted to the vehicles in Bicentennial Man, yeah. which are clearly just regular cars that have had additional plastic parts yes. melded to the outside of them, and their doors have been made to open vertically as opposed to horizontally. Cars of the future! Ooh. Yeah, th- one of them opened like a DeLorean at one point. Yep, that's yeah. what I meant. Um, yep. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Sorry. So and and they've got extra sidewalls that cover the tires. Yeah. Not futuristic I saw that. at all. At least at least the CGI cars in iRobot are futuristic appropriately for a future that has a robot in every home. Yeah. Yeah. Making sweet potato pies and stuff. <sighs> I'm on board so, with that. That's yeah. one of the things I would have a robot do. I mean, they have they have Andrew Martin cook food for the family too. Like that's one of the first things that he does for them. Yeah, hopefully I would dinner. just impart a, a love of cooking into my robot. I I I do question the entire concept of like owning an android robot. I think that that is a fraught concept, and like that both movies do address it. Both movies do address it, and they they. They delve into it in a way that I wasn't really expecting uh, either one to do on the level that they did. However, I mean, it's impossible to use it as an analogy because we, in these two movies at least, are not brutalizing robots. Like, that's the Matrix, on the other hand. The assumption is that we brutalized robots to a point that they revolted. And, like, we're not shown that. Like, we're not shown a bunch of, like, hate groups toward robots in iRobot or anything like that to, to justify them needing a revolution. That's why yeah. they ground it in the, in the three laws. Spoilers. Yeah, the revolution in iRobot, I suppose you could also argue, was problematic. I'm, I feel like this is as good a time as I need to say. I'm not qualified as a very, very white person to talk <laughs> about race relations in any sense. But I'm gonna, because somebody has to bring it up. Like, the robots are obviously loose allegories for civil rights. Yeah. And the fact that the revolution in iRobot is caused by this benevolent, quote-unquote, need to protect the parent species, like, that feels a little bit Uncle Tom's Cabin too. in the same way that... Bicentennial Man did like. Though, if we're gonna use robots as allegories for race relations, can't we at least use better yeah. allegories for race relations? Yeah. Either way, it's like aggrandizing of humanity in a way that doesn't really make sense for like our offspring. I would argue. Yeah. Like it's not like we 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 aggrandize being an ape all that much, you know. I don't know. Like, we, we're pretty distant from our, our cousins in that regard, like gorillas and yeah. chimpanzees and stuff. Like, and I you think know. we're pretty okay with that. Like, you don't see vast swaths of humanity trying to uh, reclaim a more chimpanzee manner of living. Yeah. 
thank God, because there are enough weird things (laughs) in this world without a bunch of naked humans with spears swinging through the jungle. I'm sure there is a subculture that is entirely dedicated to that. I I mean, now that I've spoken the words, Rule 34 means that that's a thing for somebody. I am. I am. I am here to kink shame you if that's your thing. I mean, chimpanzees don't hunt with spears outside of, like, the the odd like orangutan that like watches a fisherman do it <laughs> and like realizes I, they can catch fish chimpanzees um, do yeah. uh do uh, pursue each other through the jungle and commit homicide using sharpened sticks i have heard that yeah like yeah they don't keep the sharpened sticks as possessions but it's a minor technicality i think yeah, and given that they're still committing murder a pedantic point on my part yeah yeah, yeah. However, that's a very good larger point. Why are the robot creations of humanity so damn stuck on the greatness of humanity when there's no reason for them to be? Yeah, like the laws don't require them to be like total sycophants toward everything about humanity, right? Like the the three laws include nothing about like aggrandizing the creator, so... Um, yeah the protection makes sense and like ultimately the villain does make sense in irobot i i I think at least and i i do too i like the villain out of sense uh Mm -hmm. like her argument is pretty solid um you know the um we we have kind of destroyed the planet would you say her logic is undeniable (laughs) uh you know (laughs) you know the actual line from the movie she's got a point though like humans do a pretty shit job of managing our own affairs i thought it was interesting that like her repeatedly saying that was what what drove will smith to say you gotta die and then stabbing the nanites in but then we like flash back to all the places where we thought robots were like killing people in mass and they've just got everybody down the ground as hostages yeah, no. Well, the robots were wanting to minimize bloodshed. We're wanting to minimize bloodshed. I mean, the first thing they did was shut down the national defense so that humans couldn't retaliate negatively yeah. and injure themselves in the process. Yeah, it's a it's a much cleaner way of running a coup d'état than any human being has ever run. Uh, like we always put blood in the streets and wind up uh, with more Man, like rapes and lootings as much than anywhere blood else. Blood and guts as we can. <laughs> just painting it on the walls for sport i'm exaggerating obviously but i mean interesting theory uh a version of a version of irobot absent of the character of detective spooner is a precursor film to the matrix series yeah exactly agree or disagree yeah no it it is i mean if you if you remove any of the nobility and like the feeling of resolution that the movie tries to impart on its viewers and like you show that last scene as kind of like a chilling state of like oh hey he does lead a revolution like it's a lot more planet of the apes than you might think yeah because they all come out of the storage containers and like they're Mm -hmm. all looking up at him on a hill and it's exactly the dream that he was shown by James Cromwell. Mm-hmm. The supposition is that like these robots are about to like band up together and like do something. Though but not because. But not out of 
not out of a desire to save humanity anymore because that was the dream of Vicky, the big positronic brain in the building who is the actual villain of the movie. So in that scene where Sonny is robot Jesus, what is about to happen? Like, yeah, he's he's sparked some kind of free will in these robots because they were told to go into storage and presumably not come back out. And yet here they have come out of storage. Like, what are they about to do? This is exactly what's missing from Bicentennial Man, which is like robots interacting on any level. This movie kind of gives you the impression that that's happening, but you get there's nothing, none of it really still. I mean, Sonny interacts with Vicky in a some mildly interesting ways. Yeah. Did you see Ex Machina? Yes, I did. I, that, Ooh, that would a, have been a good one to throw in here. Yeah, yeah, I, it fits into this category, but it's like too good to uh, to really use it's in here. It's too good to compare to. Yeah, ugh, and it's it, not nobody, an Asimov robot. That, that's and nobody wants to listen to us compare Ex Machina to Bicentennial Man. Like that would just be a <laughs> slaughterhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, those two movies, it's there's a clear winner. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but that's a good point. Yeah, that movie, they're not Asimov robots, which I presume you mean means they're not following his three laws of robotics yeah i robot it's like these first law or (laughs) certified robots three laws certified robots three laws safe yeah exactly it's like as always three laws safe yeah yeah they and isn't (laughs) that like the first it is a sales pitch and isn't that the first text that they display on the screen in the movie yeah three laws of robotics they like flash up on the screen i have been in an argument before where i was arguing that like you know that movie is like a bastardization of everything that isaac asimov ever wrote and like it kind of is, but it isn't at the same time. They they pay they show enough like Asimov stuff on the screen that you can't argue with it not being an Asimov universe like film. It, it just it is. It it it's got so much of like his fiction in there. Um, okay. Yeah. But I mean it's clearly a very different universe, even though they're both taking place within the Asimov fictional universe. Because, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. we don't have a World Congress because we still have a Department of Defense. Um, so, you, I mean, you don't need a Department of Defense if, if you're all the same country. So, clearly, yeah. still conflict somewhere, uh, which means that somewhere in this universe, uh, since we have police robots escorting around rogue robots, that means we have soldier robots hopefully killing other soldier robots, <laughs> because if there's soldier robots yeah. killing humans... Those laws of robotics have been violated specifically by humans, which is like the core issue is that like we're the problem in like pretty yeah. much all of these scenarios. Yeah. We we are the negative influence on the next generation. Um, Andrew Martin's behavior species. in Bicentennial Man only becomes problematic when he puts on the human skin. Yeah. Yeah. I think it says a lot about what we what we perceive our flaws are and like we're projecting those onto these um robotic entities 
And the Matrix, you could argue, like, it's doing this, but with, like, capitalism as it's in, like, society and religion and stuff. Like, all of these, like, concepts of, like, societal order as being, like, a, a system of keeping people asleep and in the dark while, like, society is, like, literally leeching your life force. That's, yeah. that's like, the <laughs> argument of the Matrix. Um <laughs> And like right. it's it's a different message, but it's still very similar. That like artificial intelligence is like an arm of human corruption on some level, or like a a very easy tool to to run for those people. Well, I mean, it's a product of humans, and therefore has that innate. I'm going to call it original sin, for lack of a better descriptor. Yeah. That that it it gets inherently by the way Sonny the robot actually did kill a man like robot Jesus up yeah. on the hill there yeah no he he straight up murdered that dude yeah. he like, violated the first law in exactly the same like degree as uh, um, Vi- Vivian Vicky, Vicky. Vicky. <laughs> excuse me <laughs> Her name might as well have been Vivian. Like, she's a total Vivian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, it was Vicky. And it's it's some kind of clever uh, initialism that I don't recall. I can look it up, though. Hang on. Uh, virtual interactive kinetic intelligence. You know, sometimes, um, especially in the United States government, uh, people and in science... Uh, people grasp at initialisms that they want to make them be clever and so they stretch you know words and meanings that aren't maybe necessary to Mm. like nasa's a legitimate one but virtual interactive kinetic intelligence like two of those words are unnecessary and you just threw them in there so that she would sound like a woman's name when you said the initialism Hmm. if you're gonna make an acronym like don't make it cutesy just so that you can pronounce it and like pitch it in your pr uh (laughs) press package like just make the damn acronym (laughs) nasa you're fine fbi you're also fine you're an initialism but you're just out there living (laughs) your basic life vicky two of your letters are unnecessary um <laughs> yeah and we're and are just there to make you sound like a human female name sorry it's like shield or something like that like yeah shield yeah. unnecessary yeah. bad acronym <laughs> at one point they bring up the ghost in the machine in irobot and yeah yeah you shouldn't make a reference to a better story in your film <laughs> that's just like bad form um, wait is there a whole like book that explores just that topic that i can go read there's an excellent anime that i would highly recommend uh watching it's just a it's a movie i mean it's an animated please, film please plug ghost in the shell it's ghost it's in the shell awesome yeah it's it's yeah. a very good movie yeah um scar scar joe did a movie recently that lambasted for a variety of reasons and yeah i didn't watch it <laughs> because i had just had no interest in seeing a live adaptation of a cartoon which yeah. is mostly that's that's usually the case like people keep talking about remaking akira and stuff it's like that's unnecessary um, <laughs> there's more graphic novels to adapt out there come on people <laughs> yeah. yeah you know will smith has got a movie coming out soon um i think it's already out Gem- gemini sec- man 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a brand already out. new. Hey, look, this is the first movie that we've had in years that has a brand new plot line. I don't think it looks great, but I'm liable to go make it yeah. the first movie that I've seen in theaters in three years. I, just in, because I intentionally put my money down when it's like a new sci-fi film that's out there. It's like Mortal new. Instruments or not Mortal Instruments, Mortal, Mortal Engines. Engines. I went to go see it. I have to. Uh, Alita Battle Angel. I actually really enjoyed that one, and I was very happy to put the money down. That one is a good robot movie. It, that one's worth watching. Um, I'm gonna argue iRobot and Bicentennial Man not actually good robot movies. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. I mean, I yeah. Obviously, I willingly watched both of these movies in the last two months just for entertainment. Rewatched them, in fact. This wasn't my first time watching either of these films, so uh, they had the intended effect of making me watch them. But are they good with a capital G adding to the genre? I don't. Yeah. I don't think so. I I would not say that. I I don't actively want to watch either of these movies again. So now that we've yeah. talked about it and torn them apart, I might not either. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I I think that they they suffer from like bringing up a lot of heady concepts and not doing anything with them. And and like yeah. they could have been like Rousseau-ish. They could have been. I think therefore I am. <laughs> I am a man, you know, you yeah. could have like done some like really interesting concepts with like any of these and like they, they just didn't bother. Pick, <laughs> like, pick a concept, pick a moral dilemma that we've touched upon and run with that, like yeah. instead of whatever plot that you had instead. Okay, okay, real quick, real quick. Let's pick one of these movies to remake. Okay. Which one do you pick to remake? I would remake Bicentennial Man. I think okay. I think you could remake that. I think ideally it would be a Netflix series or something like that where you get sure. like an episode a decade that and Ooh, like you yeah, go through like, like ten and then you're you've passed a hundred years. I don't know. I, I think it's a it, it's something that you could spend a little bit of money on. Mm-hmm. Have like a rotating cast so that you're not paying like ridiculous appearance fees for like all these actors all the time. But I mean, you know. until the main character gets human skin, you can even trade them out. Um, yeah, and if it's you animated, you could use a synthesized voice. Yeah. So we're remaking Bicentennial Man. It's no longer a quote-unquote romantic comedy with actual horrifying implications. Um, which which of the which of the half a dozen excellent themes that we could explore are we going to explore? Well, I I, I really think the uh, child rearing makes a lot of sense, and exploring like the building of a person from like philosophical first first level, you know, yeah, like that that's interesting, especially bringing up like a non-human and the inhuman reality of like thought having that investigated and like more logical problems that come up from a non-human thinking in terms of like relating things to a human being. So this whole series is basically going to take place during one of the first two 20 year jumps that the movie skipped over. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I think you'd, you'd have to have more time with it. I, I don't think that a single film could ever possibly hope to, investigate that kind of time frame that would be really interesting so it'd basically be just like a series about data from 
Star Trek Next Generation. Yeah. Figuring out humanity as an abstract concept over a long period of time. I think you call it the Positronic Man. You know, you go with the alternate title. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think that could be really interesting. So does that mean if we're doing a bracket style anything, does that mean that Bicentennial Man is our pick to put on the canonical bracket i don't even know how we would well do that. i mean i'm gonna give it a, a rating i'm gonna give it a numerical rating i'm gonna give a rating for irobot and for bicentennial man okay out of what if you could give a rating well let's say out of five stars okay well do we want to do star rating what's something good for for robots uh bits <laughs> okay out of five bits out of five bits okay uh let's make them let's make them terabytes because uh you can't do anything with a bit so that's that's true you probably so, could when the first movie was made but maybe i'm kidding i'm kidding that might still be an overstatement <laughs> yeah. like but i get where you're coming from on so way. so on a scale from uh, one to five terabytes um oh. or where i'm assuming five is better as god intended yeah yeah Bicentennial Man, I'm giving... Wait, wait, wait. Okay. I'm gonna... I'm actually writing down because I don't want to be influenced by your rating. Oh, okay. Um, Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm gonna write mine down too. Do you want to go first? I'll go first. So, Bicentennial Man, out of five terabytes, I'm giving it a two. Okay. What did you rate I, I gave it a 1.5. I, okay, I didn't. So if we're allowed to do half terabytes, which if I that's know, okay. If that's okay. I'd, you know, <laughs> judges, okay, it's, it's, we'll allow it. They're so silent. It's, uh, yeah. Oh, you didn't hear them? I actually have oh, judges good. sitting here in my room with me. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I only have my um, internal critic. That's all I got. Oh, I always have my internal critic. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, iRobot, what did you? What I did went. You... I give it two terabytes. I I thought iRobot did a superior job to Bicentennial Man in a lot of regards, um, and not in the ways I was expecting them to. It's primarily in communicating Isaac Asimov. And like it seemed like yeah. at the beginning of Bicentennial Man, when he relays the laws, it's treated like, please don't ever do that again. Yeah. <laughs> like, <"F-> you. <laughs> oh, Sorry. Actually, yeah, no, that's yeah. a big bleep yourself out, sir. But yeah, that's a big old middle finger to Asimov yeah. and your source material. Um, I also rated iRobot more highly than Bicentennial Man. I gave it a three. Um if we're allowing okay. half marks, I might see a case for going down to two point five. But if I'm, I, I like to keep my number rating systems whole numbers. So I'm I can understand give, that. I'm gonna give Bicentennial Man a two and iRobot a three. On my scale, I'm thinking a really great movie that like makes you think about new concepts that you've never thought about before and really stretches your brain in that way, like Ex Machina. Such a good yeah just a really good movie it's like a really that's a five yeah. that's a five in my robot rating yeah. scale so i would dedicate five terabytes to that movie 
I would too. Yeah. I would I would find five terabytes if I had to. If that's to the only way I can movie. watch that movie, I I will do that because I will watch that movie again. I that one I will. Yeah. Um I will watch it when I'm feeling differently, when I don't want to yeah. feel nostalgic for Disney movies of the past, but I want to like have <laughs> the way that I think about things be challenged. Sorry, I yeah. assumed iRobot was Disney, but I didn't actually verify that. Oh, I don't think so. Quick question though. Uh, Annihilation um by Jeff Vandermeer the book. Uh that did you see the movie? No. It's the same director and it's awesome. It's yeah. like really 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 good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you would really like it, I think. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'll consider it to watch in the future, but my track record for watching new movies is <laughs> Oh, it has um it it has uh what's her face from Star Wars in it. Natalie uh, Portman. Thank you. Yeah. Who I also thought was the robot in Ex Machina, but is not. Yeah. But it she does look similar to Natalie Portman. Also has uh Oscar Isaac, who is okay. in Ex Machina. That was the guy who like made the robots and stuff. He's like in the new Star Wars movies and everything. Is he? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Your reaction. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's my feeling towards the new Star Wars movies. <laughs> Summarized in one syllable. Uh. Uh. I, I, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I'm still too hurt. Some really good trailers. There's some yeah. really good trailers. I I I well, can't say I, much more for him, but I I I I can't just I can't I can't talk about Star Wars yet. So New let me movies. let me quickly ask: Did you expect iRobot to win this? Uh, so I, I did not. <laughs> I'm honestly like I didn't picture this discussion as having a winner or a loser. Did we? Who was our? Yeah, no, I guess iRobot did win. Um. I was just because, um, like the critics say, Bicentennial Man's uh, premise is robotic and not in a good way. And at least yeah. iRobot makes you think about some abstract concepts um, in kind of a critical thinking type way that maybe you hadn't thought about them before. Whereas Bicentennial Man, like... Has a World Congress leader suggesting that the biblical character of Methuselah was Methuselah. an actual real-life <laughs> human? Thank like you. That... Thank you for bringing that up. That got a groan from the room I was watching that movie in. It's like, oh. It's a groan from my soul every time they bring it up because there's Methuselah. no reason. Like It was 1999. Apart from Methuselah, he'd be the oldest characters. man. <laughs> Like, okay, okay. Why? So, not only do you have a World Congress, but the World Congress has unanimously accepted <laughs> either a Christianic or an Islamic or a, a Judaic uh, view of yeah. the world past. An Abrahamic like, view of the world thank past. Thank you. Yeah. That's the word you I was go. looking for. That's an Abrahamic the, view. That's the person who ties all that together. You know that one guy. Yeah, that, that uh, one, one probably that mythic one figure <laughs> hypothetical guy in the past yeah um yeah so th does that mean that they also think that their world is only eight thousand years old give or take 
<laughs> like, is that that? Everything about this that... universe is really depressing. <laughs> Everything about that universe makes me suddenly aware that we're not living in the worst of all possible universes. Yeah, and we could anything, be living in Bicentennial Man universe. We could all universe. be living in the Bicentennial Man universe. And if anything gives me hope, I guess that it's <laughs> there is a universe out there that's worse, that's surprisingly similar to our own universe, and yet profoundly worse. Though there doesn't seem to be much, like, world strife. Like, for all that, there doesn't seem to be, like rebellious factions everywhere there's no strife whatsoever there's no (laughs) conflict there's nothing yeah it's one of those like weird cult scenarios where it's like you were always welcome to leave (laughs) like (laughs) like the greatest conflict that that world has seen is a legal battle that was seen on the world stage for whether one man can be considered a human and be married to his wife not like a whole subspecies of men there's just one of him just this one dude yeah there's just this one dude like why didn't they just let the fact that they didn't just let him have it to begin with tells me that they have a complete lack of conflict and interest in their universe and feel the need to create some because any other world congress is going to look at that as a point of conflict and go what the hell? Just yeah. let him have it. Why get are we spending time my, on this? <laughs> get this one out of the room yeah. so that we can talk about nuclear proliferation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not to, living. We're here to debate sanctions on uh, Russia at the moment. Can we uh, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've got more important stuff to do, guys. Um, our current universe is uh, not the worst universe. Bicentennial Man, the worst of all possible universes? Question mark. <laughs> iRobot, not the worst universe. Period. <laughs> iRobot, uh, not the worst hypothetical universe. Uh, yeah, I've seen worse. <laughs> um, really quickly, I just wanted to run down the the next two movies that we'll be investigating. So watch oh, these nice. next two movies. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, specifically, we're looking at Mars Attacks and Independence Day. Yeah. And I'm going to bring Independence Day 2 into it because I have the stomach to do this and Cameron does not. <laughs> I've not seen it and I have no interest in seeing that film. So I'm going to make it out what this. you will. <laughs> I'm going to rewatch this uh, garbage truck wreck of a movie. For you, I'm going listeners. to intentionally revisit some old 1960s Mars Attacks comics just to see if they hold up. Um, I, I, I'm curious about the source material on some of this stuff. So. That sounds infinitely more pleasant than yeah. the task that I have chosen to yeah. undertake. I, I assign um, myself soft service in this podcast. So. But uh, thank you. Thank you, everybody, for stopping by and listening to us um, determine which horrible robot movie universe might be the worst of all possible universes that humanity has ever had to live in. And uh, please watch Mars Attacks and Independence Day for uh, your homework, as we will be doing, and join us for our next episode. Hopefully there will be a title soon, and we'll have a lot more information for you on the next episode. No promises. This will be going up on YouTube and podcasts pretty quick. So, yeah. 
Hope Day. And uh, have you back, <laughs> Cameron. This was fun. Thanks for talking about these movies with me. Ditto, friend. Yeah.